You are listening to Think Theory Radio. 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 Hello and welcome to Think Theory Radio, the show that brings you topics outside the mainstream realm of thought and ideas to make you think. And I'm your host, Damien Perdue, your guide on this out-of-the-world ride of audio delights. And of course... I'm always joined by the man who is piloting and steering and manning the controls of the Starship Think Theory Radio policy. Yo, yo, yo. (laughs) And uh, today we are very lucky and I'm very privileged to have on a special guest, Tim Ains. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Damien. Thank you. Tim Ains is an ex-intelligence officer with the U.S. government and now currently a MUFON investigator. For the last eight years, is it? Uh, I've been with MUFON for eight years. I've been investigator for about four. And for those that don't know, MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network. Am I correct? That is correct. It originally started as the Midwest UFO Network right here in Illinois. It's now currently a worldwide organization, but it started right here in Illinois. Now we have about 8,000 members in about 122 countries, and so we had to get rid of that Midwestern thing, and we went to Mutual. (laughs) It's kind of like how... uh, UFOs are now UAPs. You have to- <laughs> yeah, yeah, the term's changed. <laughs> right. Are you guys going to switch up? The- <laughs> it's a t- no, no. It's too locked in. Uh, now, I think we're going to stick with MUFON. Yeah. It flows better. Are you going to do, you mm-hmm. know? So, I want, before we get into the, the uh, investigations you have done for MUFON, uh, why don't you give the people a little bit of background about yourself as far as your work in the uh, intelligence field with the U.S. military? What's your personal background? Okay. Well, I uh, I grew up here in Chicago. I uh, grew up on the south side. Currently, I, uh, I live out in the burbs, but I... Uh, so you're a White uh, Sox fan? Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, we're, right. we're up the White Sox. I'm a world traveler. I'm okay. a Cubs and White Sox fan. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, when you're sitting in Korea, believe me, you uh, you, you embrace both teams. I, I, can, get, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I uh, went to Northwestern University, okay. uh, and I went to graduate school at uh, University of Southern California, and I was an intelligence officer in two branches of the armed forces, and then I was a civilian contractor around the Beltway in Washington, D.C., working for uh, some three-lettered agencies for by a period of about another five years, kind of doing the same stuff uh, that yeah. I was doing when I was back in uniform, but I uh, got paid more money and had to wear suit and tie. Right. But, uh, and signed some NDAs, right? Signed a lot of NDAs. <laughs> now, you uh, in your intelligence work, you worked with spy satellites. I did. I was initially uh, trained. My specialty was uh, spy satellites. Um, and when I was initially trained on it, the fact that the U.S. government even had any was classified. And now it's not that the fact of is no longer classified. We do have them, and we can kind of talk about them generically right and um and they're out there and uh, yeah i worked on um a bunch of those now was it was there anything within because you know i'm thinking spy satellites it's it's in space or mm-hmm. low earth orbit is there anything that happened within your career working with spy satellites that geared you towards you know stepping into the ufo investigations or is it just a coincidence that well, uh, great question. It, I guess, it goes back to childhood. Uh, like 
many members at MUFON. Um, I've had a, been interested in the subject since childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, other kids went to sign up for Little League. I went down to the library to... I was like, baseball? Who cares about baseball? I want to go find out who's flying in those <laughs> right. ships around. There's aliens up there. Who cares about baseball? So anyway, you know, I was a nerd like that. And then uh, I, uh, the military paid for my college, my undergraduate. And, of course, there's a payback for that. Okay. Um, so when it came time for the payback, I kind of wanted to be a pilot. But my uh, eyes slipped a few points, so I put mm. in for intelligence work. And they just randomly assigned me to one of the specialties. There's... The intelligence field is quite broad. There's a, there's imagery intelligence, there's signals intelligence, there's human intelligence, and then within those three, there's subspecialties. Yeah. Just kind of random um, new guy coming in the door. They put me into uh, initially the uh, the imaging satellite uh, part of the business. Well, and I know with the current disclosure that's been going on, I did read a couple articles about certain government agencies thinking uh, I think even NASA themselves were talking about information that's coming from spy satellites concerning uh, UAPs or UFOs Mm -hmm. do you think this is something that is we're going to get more information about as far as or is there anything that you were privy to as far as you know satellite catching a you know moving object or anything of that nature Um, well satellites are UAPs or UFOs are tend to be fast-moving objects. Sometimes they stand still, but then they zap off. Mm-hmm. Satellites are really poor at tracking moving targets. They're they're designed to kind of sit on a certain spot over the Earth and look at one particular thing. Mm-hmm. They either stand still and uh, look straight down, and those are called geostationary. And others are sort of walkers. They orbit around and they move, um, and. To be sure, um, the lenses on the imaging satellites capture anything between that lens and outer space and what's happening on the s- surface of the Earth. And you do, when you look at the imagery, you do see things like flocks of birds. You see lots of commercial airliners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even see some missiles in the air. And, yes, there's been interesting, you know, round, um, triangle, different shaped objects that have appeared over the years that nobody knew what it was or where it came from. Okay. But t- typically, it's not what we were looking for. The reason we took right. the pictures because we were looking for maybe um, at the time of the Cold War, you know, a you know, Soviet missile silo. Right. And uh, oh, who cares about that UFO in the corner of the picture? Where's the silo? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, other times, you saw some really uh, strange stuff. Probably, uh, this is really, you know, um, uh, strange. The one time we were looking. And um, we saw a uh, woman being attacked by five Russian soldiers out in a field. Oh, wow. And um, that we were looking in the field for something else. Yeah. But we were like, geez, shouldn't somebody pick up the phone and make an anonymous uh, yeah. phone call to, you know, Minsk Police Station number 22 or right. something? You know, but that's not what we kind of just can't moved really, on. Yeah. We, you know, but uh, so you kind of got to know what was going to be on the 6 o'clock news a day or two Right. Uh, at a time based on what you were looking at that day. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. Now, and I, I know we talked a little bit about this before the show, and I, I, one of the things I like to do on the show is kind of debunk some conspiracies because I think it, le- it, it lends credence to the truth, really, if you can kind of get rid of the, you know, the, uh, the minutia and everything. So, and 
one of the kind of kind of big and because of satellite you work with satellites so i thought of this was the black satellite right so it's a very kind of internet conspiracy oh, ufo the black knight yes the black knight the black knight satellite okay so well for the listeners that don't know what that is that there's an object in space it's been photographed by nasa and the photographs have been released and it's this irregular shaped pure black object that's kind of reminiscent of that black monolith from space uh, yeah. 2001 space odyssey but it's not square it's irregular shaped and kind of creepy looking and um the thing is uh that one we we uh we can shoot that one down uh for two reasons one is logic and the other is scientific history yeah so the first thing is do you think for a second that the big three russia china and especially the united states would allow an right. alien satellite to sit there in orbit unmolested, mm-hmm. and we would just let them do whatever it is they're doing out there. We would be all over that thing like uh, you know monkeys on on trees. Right. Um, if we we would go up there, we would probably put it in the back of a shuttle and bring it back down to Earth and tear it apart. And if it didn't fit in the shuttle, we'd probably tear it apart up in space. And quite frankly, if we couldn't do it either, we would probably destroy it. Yeah. And if we didn't, the Russians or the Chinese would. No one, no one's going to allow uh, a strange. Um, <laughs> object like that there. to be floating around the earth that we don't control here mm-hmm. on earth uh, so that's kind of the logic part of it yeah uh, but the science history part of it is much more prosaic and, and mundane so back in uh, 1998 there was a shuttle mission called a shuttle mission 88 called sts 88 um and uh it was a significant mission it was a 12-day mission where the uh, space shuttle was docking with the International Space Station, or what was the core <coughs> a module of the uh, ISS at that mm-hmm. time. And they were bringing up uh, a module um, uh, from the U.S. side. It was called the Unity Module, because the space station is assembled like a giant Lego. Okay. And the Russians bought up a module, and we bought up a module, and, and the whole thing was bolted together like sort of a Frankenstein city. So in 1998, <clears throat> they were bringing up the uh, um, the Unity module, mm-hmm. and the two astronauts on board, uh, Jerry Ross and James Newman, what? <clears throat> excuse me, um, were trained like all astronauts not to drop any litter into space. Mm-hmm. So even if you the astronauts are trained not to drop one bolt or even the tiniest screw, because even though it goes floating off into space, it's actually going around the Earth at eighteen thousand miles an hour. Right. So you know littering is a bad thing in space, <clears throat> and if they they do litter, it's an object that gets tracked. Yeah. So um, astronaut Ross and astronaut Newman they dropped five things that we know of. They they dropped a uh, trunnion pin cover. They dropped a retractable tether, mm-hmm. uh, an object called a worksite interface socket, and a slide wire carrier. And uh, the last thing was this thermal blanket. Okay. And it's a dark, big black uh, blanket that was covering the Unity module. Okay. Like a shroud kind yes, of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's I've heard that one. You know the that's that's pretty much what it is, right? <coughs> Yes, it is. So that's absolutely what it is. Yeah. If you, um, when the uh, astronauts let that thing float away, they knew they were in a little bit of trouble. Right. So they grabbed a camera and they took pictures of it, and because they wanted to document that it, it flew off. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, later, when uh, the mission was long over, 
NASA re- released the photos from that mission that were taken by the, the astronauts' cameras. Yeah. And somebody saw this black, spooky-looking thing floating off in the orbit, and the Internet trolls jumped on it, and right. it became the the, <laughs> the, black, uh, the Knights. black Knight satellite, yeah. <laughs> and there's 25 different stories. Yeah. It's been with us for 20 years. It's been with us for 100 years. It's been with us since the beginning of the planet. Yeah. That's why I always thought it was kind of fascinating, because the way it ties <laughs> into the you know, kind of ancient astronaut theory. Um, and I always knew that that's pretty much what it was. It's just a thermal blanket. But, you know, there's that part of you that kind of wants to believe that it's something else, that it's, you know, this remnant of an ancient, you know, civilization or, you know, kind of first technology. But I think that which, you know, we're talking about before the show, and I said, you know, I'm a skeptical believer, right? Hmm? And we were talking about uh, MUFON, and I said, well, you have, well, it's a huge organization. It's bigger than I thought. And you were saying how, yeah, we're we're all open-minded skeptics. Open-minded se- skeptics. That's yeah. So it. if you're a skeptical believer, you'd be a wonderful member of MUFON. Okay. That's are you guys we're, hiring? We're looking for open-minded skeptics <laughs> that are willing to apply the scientific method. Yeah. Uh, and to solve a mystery. And if you've applied all the branches of science and you still have a mystery, then we call that an unknown, and unknowns are a good thing, because yeah. that means it's been vetted, it can't be explained away, and it merits further study and research. Yeah, and I thought that was really good. You sent me the link to, so it's called, you're part of the uh, the ERT, or the Experiencer Resource Team. Right. So as we kind of went around the world, you know, investigating UFO sightings, we found about 7% of the people told us, well, you know, it wasn't just a ship. I actually had an interaction with an alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't want to talk, tell you about it in my report, but when you strike up a relationship and you talk to them and you debrief them, they come forth and they go, I think I actually was abducted or yeah. they were standing next to my bed. <clears throat> and a lot of these people are very rattled. Yeah. Um, and some have had their uh, religious beliefs destroyed or they're questioning their worldview. And um, so within MUFON, uh, it was decided that, you know, we can't just let these people languish without any help. Some of them really need some help. So we put together a team of uh, experienced investigators, but we're looking for something in addition, in addition for that. We're looking for patient uh, counselors mm-hmm. who are willing to be non-judgmental and let somebody tell their story. A lot of these people who claim to have had abductions, they just want to tell their story. Yeah. They just want to be heard. And that alone allows them to um, um, shake off a lot of the tension and the pressure. And and they just want to, they just want to be heard. Yeah. And they want to know that somebody's listening that won't think they're crazy. So that's our role. Um we're, we're investigators, but that people on that team are specially handpicked. Uh, they tend to be uh, there's certain there's sort of a gray hair factor involved. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't put young kids that haven't lived enough life uh, on, right. on that team. Um, and um, so I am the I'm the deputy director of that team. We have about 67 people on that team around the world that oh, uh, wow. that do that kind of thing. Um, the abductees themselves are an interesting lot. About a third of them, well, you know, we have people with with mental health issues that mm-hmm. you're dealing with on this team, and that's why we're so selective of who we put on the team. But about a third of the people are either on their meds or off their meds, or they went on meds when they had the <laughs> after they had the experience. I'm sure. Um, another third are folks 
who are mm, drama people, yeah, uh, prone mm. to drama. Um, they are sleepwalkers, or or um, they're just having really vivid dreams. Mm-hmm. But the last third, the last third are kind of the real deal. Yeah, and and we got a we have a good screening list of questions that sniffs out the real deal. We don't release what they all are to the public so that people can't can't fake the experience. Yeah, but there's certain things that happen to abductees that they all talk about. And people have seen stuff in the documentaries and scary movies, right? There are things like missing time, mm-hmm. or they might have marks on their body. But, you know, where the marks are and what the marks look like, um, you know, that mm. we have pretty good knowledge of that. And it's interesting when somebody in India and somebody in Des Plaines, uh, Illinois, and somebody in Fiji all have, you know, the same mark. Yeah. Uh, and they, they're telling a similar story. Um <clears throat> so that's the challenge of the ERT. Now, you were talking about too the <clears throat> your the percentage that when you first got involved with Mufon, you thought, oh, this is going to be you know one or two people here and there. And as you started to work, you t- explained the numbers, uh, which is when you told me, I was like, wow, that's yeah, great so question. much more than I thought. <clears throat> so when I first got picked to be on the ERT, um, <clears throat> I. Uh, the, the abductions have probably been going on since who knows how long. Yeah. Um, and but the first modern era abduction is generally considered the uh, the Betty in uh, Barney Hill incident, mm-hmm. which was happened in September of ni- uh, 1961 in in uh, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And that that case got worldwide attention. There was hypnosis involved, and under hypnosis, these dramatic you know scenes came out. Of them being on a on a, an alien craft, so that kind of triggered the modern era of abductions. Yeah, and so when I got on board the team, I'm like, well, so how many of those could happen in a year here in the United States? Since I knew I'd only be working cases in the United States, so I thought, no, oh, maybe two or three a year. Well, we know um, from our experience in the fact that there's eight billion people on the planet, we can extrapolate. For instance, we know from sightings, uh, sightings in the sky that about one out of every ten people will actually take the time to submit a detailed report to us online. Yeah, we know from abductions it's about one in fifty. They have people who don't know we exist, or they don't know how to find us, or they're in another country, they don't have computer access. Um, so, using that kind of one in fifty mark, we know we think it's about one million people a year worldwide on a planet of eight billion people. Uh, are experiencing some kind of abduction. Yeah, it's, it's a staggering number, I know, but on a planet of eight billion people, it's it's less than one percent. Right, and it then sounds you have like to, a lot. Yeah, and <laughs> well, it's more than I thought. And that doesn't count the cows. Right, <laughs> the cows that that, uh, that get abducted, abducted yeah. and the animal mutilations. Now, see, okay, is that something that's still? Because I I know, like in the eighties and nineties, that was a very big thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't hear that much about you know the cow mutilations and cows mutilations. We had a big still? case uh, last summer. Made the oh made, really? It made the mainstream news for about a day and a half out okay. in Texas. They found a bunch. Oh okay. Yeah. So it's still happening. They the cows are you know it. There's no footprints around them. It's like they're dropped from the sky. There there's not a drop of blood in them. The tissues are surgically removed. Yeah. Um, it, it's uh, the strangest thing. Or the flesh is completely. Deboned off of the uh, the animal. It's we have uh, special. There, we have people who specialize just in that stuff. Yeah, I did see a documentary on the Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, I had like yeah. the, the mm-hmm. 
some of the cases there. It was mm-hmm. pretty interesting. That one's a... Yeah, that gets in a whole weird area out yeah. there. There's a lot of <laughs> stuff going on there. Um, um, I know for a fact that people... It's become so hot that people in the U.S. government uh, in the D.C. area are looking for excuses to do, quote-unquote, official trips to go out to Skinwalker Ranch as mm. part of their job. Yeah. Because they want to see for themselves. They want to, they basically want to be looky-loos, but you know, yeah. they're coming up with some trumped-up excuse why they have to go out there. Well, among the people who do, they're given an official briefing that when you're on the property, be careful of your thoughts. How's that for strangeness? They're, they're told, be careful what you think. Yeah. Like, if you go on this piece of property and you're expecting demons and evil things to happen, that tends to happen among the people who are expecting that. And right. if you go in as an open-minded skeptic that maybe this is an opportunity to experience uh, something new, another life force, um, and you don't have any prejudgment, those people tend to have a more interesting, you know, non non scary um, experience. Yeah, but that's I felt like they, they kind of showed that in the documentary because you had a yeah, more but, scientists that but were. But what's interesting and, to me is the government's building it into briefings. Like mm, you're required to get this briefing before you go there, right? So that tells you the government's like believes that there's something going on there. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> have you personally talked to anybody who's been there? Or? Uh, no, I okay. have not. Okay. No. Now. Uh, actually, we got to take a quick break, and then we will be back right after this commercial break with Tim Ains, MUFON investigator, and uh, many more questions to go. Okay. back to Think Theory Radio. This is Damien, and today I'm joined by Tim Ains. He is a MUFON investigator and assistant director to the team. And for people that don't know, if you're just tuning in, MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network, and they do a lot of uh, investigation, not just with UFO, but with people who claim to be abductees. And that's your main field, right? That's what you do. Um, uh, I uh, still do mainstream investigations of lights in the sky here in Illinois, but I'm also on a special team, a much smaller hand-picked team that deals with uh, people who've claimed they've been abducted or had an abduction or an experience uh, maybe with an alien, but it didn't necessarily involve an induction. Right, like they show up on the side They've of the bed They've had some kind something. of claimed alien contact. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, and you've been doing this for, you said, eight, eight years, right? Is that about right? Uh, I've, I've been a member of MUFON for eight years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how many people have you personally talked to or interviewed about well, I've this? I've done over 200 cases so, oh, wow. so far. And are they generally all in Illinois, or have you been? Uh, I we we generally work geographically, so I okay. work for a state director, a really talented gentleman by the name of Sam Maranto, and he uh, the way it works is um, uh, somebody comes home from yeah. a day at work and they find a uh, black triangle floating noiselessly over the top of their house, okay. and uh, the first thing they'll say is, "Oh my gosh, call the cops." Right. <laughs> and then they stop and think, well, wait a minute, what are the cops going to do? So yeah. then they Google, who do you report a UFO to? And um, MUFON usually comes up, or they know about us from the shows. Mm-hmm. There's usually a MUFON talking head on ancient aliens or any of those mm-hmm. UFO documentaries. We're the, the largest and oldest UFO organization out there. We've been around since 1969, so a lot of people already know about us. 
So um, they'll file a detailed report. It's kind of like a crime report. Okay. Um, and it asks all sorts of stuff like weather and what direction did it come from, which direction did it go, did you see you know rivets or markings or all sorts of detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it then goes to uh, the MUFON headquarters, which is in the world headquarters, is actually in Cincinnati. Okay. And there it gets an initial screen. Um, or or it's uh, actually looked at by some administrators of the computer system, Yeah, which actually can, can be located anywhere. And then from there, they send it to the country or the state director of the state where the uh, incident happened. The state director, in turn, then assigns the, uh, the cases that um, he or she thinks have uh, uh, merit yeah. and to one of their available investigators. So I get assignments from... The state director here in Illinois, but I also get uh, uh, assignments from the director of the experiencer resource team, the, the team that deals with um, abductions and, and contact, alien contact. Okay. So I get both kinds of. Well, we they're two kind of separate buckets, Cases. but I get I work both. Now, out of as far as the. Uh, people who claim to either have uh, made contact or been abducted, is there. Do you get like right off the bat? You know, you kind of you can meet somebody and you kind of know if they're BSing or not, right? Yes. You're like, do you get that, or is there some people that you can, and you have to go through the whole process before you can figure out if they're telling the truth or not? Well, we're human, and um, right. <laughs> some some of these are people we? are looking <laughs> for uh, attention uh, or personal gain, mm-hmm. and um, those tend to be shorter interviews. Yeah, uh, and uh, <clears throat> people who are scared. Uh, and I don't know what to do, and uh, um, those tend to be the much longer interviews, and mm. we want them to be much longer interviews because these are people that are um, psychologically upset and they need possibly some resources. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we offer at the end of the debriefing that we give them is we give them, um, we ask them if they're interested in working with prof- uh, psychological professionals mm-hmm. uh, or, or hypnotherapists, if they're interested in doing regression therapy. We ourselves don't do that. Uh, we have no, we're, we don't have any dog in this fight. But what, over the years, you wouldn't believe how many uh, people who are hypnotherapists or psychologists have had their own experiences uh-huh. and say, "Hey, I believe now." Yeah. And by the way, if you have anybody who has this experience as well, I'm willing to work with them and help them because I'm not going to poo-poo it. I know that this is a real thing. Right. So over the years, we've compiled a list of these people who've approached us. We kind of vet them. In terms of that, they're real psychologists, and and that they're out there practicing, and then if the person wants, uh, we'll give them the information of who is in their area that they can contact f- to, um, you know, have one-on-one sessions with a real therapist if they want. Uh, but we screen them in terms of we know that they won't be poo-pooed or sent home saying, "Oh, that's ridiculous," right? You know, that kind of thing. Also, we give them a list of online. Some people don't want to do face-to-face. They just want to be in some online support group where they can tell their story, among other people. And we have a list of uh, groups that we share with them where they can do that as well. Now, aside from the the, the markings on the skin, um, is has there any? Have you come across any cases where there's physical evidence left behind? As you know, I don't know, like a some kind of a 
alien cell phone or something, <laughs> or no. just or just any you know any kind of uh, none of the cases, substance left or something. None of the cases that I've worked. No, uh, but we do have what are called markers of abduction. Okay. So you know the most common one that gets our attention is missing time. Yeah. Um, so. Somebody will say, you know, I was working in my kitchen, and I had this overwhelming urge to go out in the backyard and look up at the sky, and I can't even tell you why. Yeah. And I was out there for 10 minutes, maybe 15 tops, and they go back in the house, and six hours have gone by. Wow. So they're kind of freaked out about that. Yeah. So they want to talk to somebody about that. What what, what happened? What happened to me? Am I crazy? <laughs> and so, you know, we tell them, no, you're not crazy. You're in a special club of people. Um, you look at it upon it as kind of a gift. You're now in a special club. Right. Go about live your life in a normal manner, but it, this hap has happened to other people. But tell us your story. We, we're more interested in listening than directing or trying to. We uh, try not to solve the problem for them. We try to. We're kind of like special counselors more than investigators on that team. Yeah. Now, do you find the ones that have the the missing time if if they do hypnotherapy? Do they start to remember anything from the from Great the question. Uh, hypnosis does not work on everybody. Okay, yeah, about fifty percent of the time seems yeah. to be the experience. There's certain people that just can't be hypnotized, mm-hmm. but about fifty percent of the time it does work. Um, they can be hypnotized, but then that being the case, it doesn't mean you're going to get under hypnosis what you think you're going to get. Yeah, um, and um, but some very, very interesting things have come out. People have written books uh, yeah. and cashed in on it of what came out in, under their you know, recorded uh, hypnosis sessions. So yeah, it, is, it is a tool. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not you know, universal. It doesn't work on everybody. But we, um, we look at a several markers. We look at things like you know, unexplained uh, marks on the skin. Um, sometimes there's a bioluminescent mark mm-hmm. on the skin. Um, Paralysis is a common complaint. Mm. Like they were there, and I was screaming, but my screaming was in my head, and mm. I couldn't move my arms and legs. Um, they'll uh, they'll wake up in a different location, or they'll complain that uh, when they did wake up at the end of the experience, their clothes were misbuttoned, hmm. or even inside out, or they. We're facing the wrong way in the bed. They were at the head of the bed, the foot of the bed instead of the head of the bed. Mm. Um, and um, sometimes they'll. We have a list of um, oh, probably about thirty abduction markers that we take a look at, and we don't release them all to the publics because we don't want people right. You don't want being able to fake it, mm-hmm. or even like I was saying, like subconsciously it just yeah. kind of sticks in their head. But and the interesting, the, one of the interesting things though is is the TV shows and documentaries all make it look like everyone's terrified, right? And to be sure, everyone says you know this really kind of blew me away. It's really scary, um, but. One one of the interesting things to me when I got into this line of work is how many people can't wait for them to come back. Hmm. Um, over half say about, well, I'd say half, tell us that they're not afraid of them anymore and they can't wait for them to come back and they kind of feel like they're friends. Okay. Uh, and do, do they have like a thinking that if they come back, th- there will be more of a more conscious experience? Like they'll be able to like, kind of talk with them now that, you know, they've gone through the, the, you know, the primary the abduction. The responses are as unique as there are people on the earth. You yeah. know, I had one guy said, you know, I live in a third floor condo and I heard my sliding door open and I went out and there was this reptilian person standing on my doorway. Yeah. 
on the sliding door, and I threw a chair at him because I was terrified. <laughs> and with one leap, he leaped off the balcony down to the ground and landed like Superman and just walked away on, you know, with one leap standing right. upright. And he goes, I felt like I blew that encounter because right. <laughs> he didn't actually threaten me, but it right. was so scary looking. You know, maybe he just wanted to talk to me or right. tell me I was going to be the president of the United States. And, <laughs> and instead, I threw a chair at him. And he says, I want him to come back. I want to re- I want to redo. He was the one guy that the, the, the yeah, alien you know. was going to exp- tell him everything. He's like, oh, no, nope, you blew your chance. Right. So, you know, um, so I guess the point of the point of that is not all of them are terrified, scared people that are traumatized for life. Yeah. Um, about half of them are, I would call them enlightened people that are are uh, eager to, for more contact. Um, yeah. And then that brings up a, you know, a whole different area. So, um when we do get a contactee, one of the more interesting things is we say, "Have you told this story? Are your parents still alive?" And they'll say yes or no. And if it's yes, we'll say, "Have you told this story to your parents?" And they'll go, "Oh no, I can't tell my parents. This will think I'm crazy." And yeah. we'll say, "We really strongly recommend you share this story with your parents because you might get an interesting response ah. and, a, and a, when they do about half the time they come back and go oh my god my parent one of my parents said it happened to them when they were little and they never told anybody and now they're freaked out because it's happening to me hmm. so then we say are your grandparents still alive and if they are we say we really strongly suggest you go talk to your grandparents and share the story yeah and because that generation really never talked about that stuff. Right. And uh, and among the people who do, about half the time, again, they come back and go, oh, my God, you know, grandma or grandpa said it happened to them. And now they're freaked out and they never told a soul. So what we've seen a lot of times, it's, it's generational. Hmm. Not everybody who has an abduction experience is, is, um, is a one-off. Yeah. Some of them, it seems like... They're interested in something genetically in certain families, and they drop in once every generation to check on something. Yeah. Whatever it is, it seems hmm. to be of genetic in nature, and then they put you back. And then probably your kids are going to get checked yeah. on, too. Um, <laughs> and that kind of weirds people out. And then that quickly gets into the really obscure cases. This is not something that happens all the time or even frequently, but we've had missing pregnancies, women that are pregnant. Yeah. In the first trimester, documented, you know, they have the they have an ultrasound. They they're absolutely medically pregnant, and they have an experience, and they're not pregnant anymore. Oh wow! And um, we have that has driven most of those people. By the way, join Mufon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we have they some, want to find out what famous people that that's happened to that are kind of leaders in our organization and have written about it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we have a big symposium every year at MUFON. It's kind of an annual uh, get-together of all the f- field investigators, and it's open to the general public. Okay. This year it's going to be at the end of July uh, in uh, Irving, Texas. Okay. Anybody can go. Uh, but the presentations are always fascinating, and most of the investigators are going to be there. And uh, and the presenters are really interesting. Last year I learned about... Um, well, I already knew about missing pregnancies, the occasional missing pregnancy among abductees. But um, somebody gave a presentation about missing twin syndrome. Mm. And we have at least two documented cases where the woman 
was medically proven to be pregnant with twins, absolute ultrasounds, absolutely, you know, hard proof. And the delivery day comes, uh, but before the delivery day comes, she has some sort of ET experience. Mm-hmm. When the delivery day comes, only one baby comes out. And it's not because the second one is still born. There's literally nothing there. There yeah. was two. Now there's only one. And the two mothers, as you can imagine, were quite upset. Yeah. This doctor still may had two. Right. Should I sue him for malpractice? How come only one came out? Mm-hmm. They both had a follow-on experience of an extraterrestrial nature. And they both asked the extraterrestrials, and this is in their statements, did you have anything to do with my missing baby? Yeah. And both of them, independently of each other, got the same response. Uh, they said that the aliens said, one for you, one for us. And uh, that uh, that's kind of a whoa yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Now, so you're always learning something new. Yeah. I didn't know about missing twin syndrome. No, I, didn't, the, I haven't uh, heard of that one either. So it's called missing twin syndrome. This is not coming soon to a, a theater near you. Right. This is really, you know, the odds of this are like one in a bazillion. But yeah. we have at least two cases where documented missing twin syndrome and many more cases of missing pregnancies. Now, it actually gives me like two different questions. One sure. is when in these investigations, when the people say that they've communicated with the aliens and mm-hmm. extraterrestrials, is it uh, verbally or telepathically? In every case i've worked it's it's always been telepathic yeah that's right that's what i've heard but i was wondering if there's the one you know <laughs> hey actually talk to me as he speaks english um <laughs> i think i well i i'm not one of my cases but i did read a case where they were taken up to the ship they worked with the gray aliens the ones you see at all the tv shows and yeah. movies and then a a nordic came in we, okay we have five alien types, by the way. Right. People used to argue about it. You know, is there such a thing as UFOs? Nobody's arguing about that anymore. Yeah. They're arguing about how many species there are. Okay. <laughs> uh, in general, everybody agrees on four, and some people have gone as high as they say, they say there's 55 hmm. species. So the argument continues about that number. Uh, but um, this one claimed abductee went to the ship, uh, had an experience with the greys there. Uh, they were sort of freaking out and and um very scared and and the grays are not violent yeah. uh, um and in general and they sort of left the room and then some very human nordic looking kind of people came in and they talked to them hmm. in normal verbal language that okay. was the only case i ever heard where that happened now it, if there are these you know different species or types of extraterrestrials are they you know, well, if this like if this case is true, right? And you had the Greys, and then the Nordics came in. Mm-hmm. They're like obviously working together. Is this some kind of uh, you know federation of planets, or is it you know varying kind of a it's it's competing? Uh, competing. The opinions are as wide as there are people involved in this <laughs> line of work. Um, there, we appear to be visited, if judging by the reports and the mm-hmm. statements that we look at. By four main, four main species, and I'm gonna, in my personal opinion, add a fifth. Okay. Um, there's the grays. There's actually several varieties of grays, but they're all grays. They're kind of the close encounters, the third kind looking kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, there's the Nordics. They look like us, but they're taller. They have perfect skin. They have blue eyes. Okay. Um, 
There's the reptilians. Mm-hmm. The reptilians are uh, the reports on them. They tend to be, and this is where you got to be keep an open mind. Yeah. Uh, shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have the giant praying mantis. Mm. And um, that's I don't the think scary, I've heard that one. That's the one that scares everybody, but the interactions are very benevolent, if not kind. And some people have reported healings from interacting with the praying mantis. One guy was just fishing out on the side of a river out in the wilderness. Yeah. And he looked down the riverbank, and there was a six-foot mantis wow. standing there. And he said it was exactly like the praying mantis that you see in your garden. Yeah. But it was six feet tall. And uh, it looked at him and ran off into the woods. Um, and then, so that's four. There's the Greys, the Nordics, the Reptilians, and the Praying Mantis. We have a lot of reports. And my personal opinion, I think Bigfoot is a fifth species. Mm. Um, now that I have not heard. <laughs> that um, There's too many Bigfoot sightings, but we've not found a breeding population. And it's incomprehensible that we can't find a breeding population. Mm-hmm. There are ones, you know, the sightings are all ones and twos. And... Um, and I think Bigfoot comes here to to uh, recreate and uh, and blow <laughs> up steam and explore and vacation because um, we've had we've had at least two or three reports where they've se- they're seen at the controls of ships okay taking off and landing through the windows yeah um, I've personally read two reports of hunters who were out searching like for a wounded deer or trying to um, do hunting and they came around. A path, and uh, they ran into a Bigfoot, and out of just sheer terror, they pulled the trigger, and they shot the the uh, the Bigfoot, and it disappeared into a flash of light. Hmm. Uh, so teleportation. Yeah. So if this is you know an earthly species, I would think that if it gets shot, you know we'd see blood coming out or something coming right. out, and we would have found breeding populations that would sustain it. Um, and Bigfoot sightings tend to coincide with lights in the sky sightings, um, and that's my personal okay. theory. I think uh, I think there are fifth species that yeah. are visiting us. That's interesting, but not everybody agrees with me, of right. course. <laughs> um, you know, what? we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask you about uh, kind of are they benevolent or not, and also uh, more about you know MUFON and some of your investigations. Right okay. after this on Think Theory Radio. Think Theory Radio. This is Damien, and today I'm joined by MUFON investigator Tim Ains. And MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network, and we've been discussing lights in the sky. Uh, we haven't really got into the ancient alien stuff, but you know, if we have time, we'll get there. <laughs> and uh, uh, like differences between abductees and people who have just made contact, and also you investigate the lights in the sky sightings. Mm-hmm. Now. Before the show, you were saying that there are kind of regional sightings. Now, did you mean that certain UFOs are specific to to different regions, or how, uh, how do you mean? Uh, any UFO can be seen anywhere in the world of any type, size, or shape. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've working cases here in Illinois. Uh, I've coined a term uh, Black Triangle Alley down mm. in southern Illinois. Yeah. 
Uh, we had a lot of Black Triangle sightings. One of them was very famous. It happened uh, on uh, the year 2000 on January 1st or 2nd. Yeah. They made a couple TV shows about it. It was it was a UFO that flew low and slow in the middle of the night from um, from uh, east to west. Okay. And it was chased by five police departments on the Illinois side, across the Mississippi, and then it was chased by three departments over on the Missouri side. And of all those police departments, only one of them filed a report oh, right. on it, <laughs> and that guy wound up getting interviewed by the media. Um, but that's just one of many sightings we have down there. Yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of block triangles. Um, and so I get asked about that a lot. I Personal theory, again, it's my personal opinion. I think some of the black triangles are ours and some of them are theirs. Okay. And ours are based on theirs that we've sort of reverse engineered and yeah. probably recovered. And then on the pad, there's a pattern on the ones down in southern Illinois. You know, if you... You know, geographically, Southern Illinois kind of comes to a point down there mm-hmm. on the map. Yeah. So you have Kentucky off to the, the east, and you have Missouri to the west. So we tend. It's almost like there's a, a flyway of black triangles that cross mm. the bottom of that tip of Illinois, coming back and forth from uh, at least uh, Kentucky and Missouri. And the black triangles are kind of seen eastbound early in the in the evening. Yeah. And they're seen westbound. Uh, few hours before sunrise. It's almost like they have to return. Hmm. And so among the more savvy witnesses that I work with and I debrief that have the proper apps on their phone or they, they're ex-military and they know how to do compass bearings, I'll say, can we able to get, could you do a compass bearing for me? Can we go out to the side or can you go out to the exact spot where you were standing and give me a compass bearing on, you know, you, you know what tree it last disappeared over the top of, right? And yeah. Go, yeah. And I go, can you give me a compass bearing on that? So they'll give me those compass bearings, and when I plot them out on um, a map and extend the lines out, probably seven times out of ten, they lead right to the runways at Whiteman Air Force Base Mm. in Missouri, uh, which is home to the B-2 stealth bomber, which is kind of triangle-like, but it's not. There's no mistaking. I'm a knowledgeable person, or even a not a knowledgeable person. Um, the the real UFL black triangles look exactly like a full black triangle. Yeah, and the and the B two is sort of more like a bat wing kind of shape. But yeah, and it's a different po- kind of flight pattern too. Yeah, but the, the point is, um, it's a military base that's set up for stealth operations. Um, you know, and there's more than one Area 51 out there. Right, and um, <laughs> so people like to jump on Scott Air Force Base down okay. south, down in the south part of Illinois. Yeah, uh, Scott is just a sleepy cargo logistics base. Okay, the only thing they have there are cargo planes, uh, refueling tankers, um, and uh, an ambulance aircraft. Mm. And it's pretty open base. There's no big secret, dark secrets at Scott Air Force Base. But Whiteman's a little different. You know, that's where we keep. It's the only place in the world we keep the stealth bomber. Because we want it well inland in case there's a nuclear strike. They don't want them near the coast. Yeah. Um, and so they would be well set up for some other stealth operation. And the predecessor for this is the stealth fighter. So the stealth fighter flew only at night from 1971 to 1977 because the Air Force didn't want to admit that it existed. Mm-hmm. And so the pilots were called the vampire pilots. They only flew at night. They slept all day. Um <laughs> But yet, you know, sightings leaked out. People saw these strange things flying around at night. People, some people got some fuzzy, blurry shots of them. Yeah. So 
finally, the, the Air Force came clean after seven years and said, okay, it was really us. We have this thing called the Stealth Fighter, and we're going to release it to the public and show it to you. And, you know, it was a black project. Yeah. Uh, just like the SR-71 Blackbird was in the U-2 spy plane in the early days. Um, so putting that all together, these black triangles are our version of the black triangles. This could be just another program that hasn't been released yet to the public. Gotcha. And as I say, when I extend the lines out on the map, it leads to Whiteman Air Force Base. So so it's not oogie-boogie, dark conspiracy stuff. It could be just a routine black project of the next generation aircraft that will be informed and do do course about when the time is right. Now, when I, for me, obviously, I think most people too, they always, and I've seen videos of the, the, the triangles you're speaking of too, but, uh, you know, obviously there's the, the flying discs, um, is the most common, mm-hmm. but then there's the, the orbs, which uh, I feel like is, you know, it goes back to like the claims of the Foo Fighters in World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go back if, you know, depending on what you believe or how you want to interpret things, you know, kind of old biblical stories, you know, Ezekiel's wheel. and um, But now I think you're, you're starting to get a lot more footage of these these orbs around. Mm-hmm. What, what do you know about those? Well, so now we're getting into the paranormal or pseudo-paranormal. Okay. Um, so the official mission of MUFON, we don't do paranormal, but we do because it when it ties in with a UFO sighting. Right. So... Um, you know, if you see lights in the sky, and they, but then they land in your yard, and then aliens walk through your wall. They melt the wall in your bedroom and walk right straight through it. Right. Yeah, that's kind of paranormal. Right. Or you see orbs come through your wall after the UFO lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't scientifically have an answer what, what the orbs are. Okay. And we're a science-based organization, but every investigator like myself has their personal opinion. My personal opinion, I think... Um, shape-shifting is very common among the advanced developed species in the universe. Okay. Uh, we, we use it for scary horror movies to, to uh, right. <laughs> you know, have somebody turn into a werewolf. Right. But I think it's a, an economical way for energy to move around the universe. Mm. And the purest form that you need to do that in is as an energy orb. And then when you can, you can move around, and then when you get to your destination, assume whatever shape shift you need for Ah, that planet or environment is my personal theory. Yeah. So the orb Um, itself could be part of the... uh, Yeah, the orbs are... Engineering. You know, our own laws of physics say that, you know, energy never dies. It just changes form, Mm -hmm. right? And and then you could apply that to everything, including, you know, your own human death. Yeah. You know what happens to you after you die? Well, there's that ball of light thing, and you go towards the tunnel of light. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a recurring theme here. Um, hmm. That's so. We do investigate orbs when they're associated with the the larger subject. Okay. Now, I wanted to get back. I was talking about uh, kind of are they benevolent or not? Because I think of the majority of sightings, videos, and everything. Now, obviously, you have the, the cow mutilations or the stolen babies. <laughs> it's not very benevolent, but I feel like at least as far as the the, the vehicles themselves, you never see any, like, shooting a laser or f- you know, physically attacking anything. Right. So, in your opinion, are they benevolent, or what is the... Well, what's the so, deal? I think the most common way to approach the sub or the best way to approach the subject is take a look at what they don't do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do they, do they land on the lawn of the White House or the Kremlin and say, take me to your leader? 
No, they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Could they? Absolutely. Um, are they are they sending down droids and robots in a War of the Worlds scenario to shoot lasers and take us over? Uh, they're not doing that either. Right. And by the way, they could have done that hundreds or thousands of years ago when we weren't in an advanced state. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't have had to wait to this point of our evolution to do that. So what's left is basically the zoo theory. You know, the... Um, again, personal opinion, not, you know, I'm not, not speaking for MUFON, speaking for myself. <laughs> you, you know, the evidence seems to indicate to me that the planet is a giant Petri dish, hmm. and there's several species and races that are sort of watching over us. Okay. Uh, and uh, maybe we're some sort of grand experiment, or they're waiting for us to develop to the point where we can interact with them and join the quote-unquote Federation of Planets. And, right. We'll see what happens. <laughs> now, kind of leaning to that, and you're having a lot of uh, disclosure now, you know, with the, the um, David Grush and the Pentagon hearings. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a double question. One, what do you think about that? But two, with our technology advancing, uh, with drone technology and, you know, kind of uh, deep fake stuff and, and, and easily manipulated videos – one, what, what's your opinion on the Pentagon hearings? Two, do you find it harder to investigate now with the technology ability to fake things? Uh, yeah, imagery has been ruined. Artificial yeah. intelligence and Photoshop has destroyed the, the credence value of imagery because mm-hmm. you can make an image sound like everything now. So that's that. Um, the disclosure train, though, um, it's very encouraging because yeah. we have senators and congressmen saying, you're holding out on us. Mm-hmm. They've never done that before. Right. You know, since 2017, you had the U.S. Navy releasing. That's That was quite a, a breakthrough. Yeah. Um, in 2017, it's the first time that the official act of U.S. government released something and said, we don't know what this is. It's sort of a, a UFO. Yeah. And then... The actual, the real disclosure book actually came out in 1997, but nobody paid attention. Mm. There's a book out there called The Day After Roswell. It was written by a guy by the name of Philip J. Corso, who had a, uh, a career in the U.S. Army from 1942 to 1963. And he was given the task, in his book... He had an interaction with the aliens twice, uh, alien-related stuff. Mm-hmm. So the day after Roswell, literally, he was a junior captain in the Army. He was involved in the transportation of the bodies from New Mexico. And then in 19, early 60s, he was given the parts off of crashed UFOs, and he parted those pieces out to different U.S. contractors under a cover story that we captured this from some Russian aircraft. We don't know how this works. What is this? And can you make one of these? Okay. And uh, that has allegedly given us fiber optics and circuitry and a lot of other things. Ah, okay. Well, unfortunately, we have to end it there because our time is up. But I definitely want to, one, thank you for coming on. It's been an amazing discussion. Definitely want to have you back on. And uh, real quick, if people need to reach out, uh, how do they contact you or MUFON? Well, uh, you go to MUFON.com if you want to file a report. Um, is uh, is uh, Rather than contact me directly, is a way they could contact you at the station? You yeah, can they, can, they, they know how to get to me. So okay. they can hit me up and I'll give it to you or just go to MUFON.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back again next week and every Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. right here on WCPT 820.